I've been trying to watch more movies from my birth year, but it's kind of become me watching movies from the 1990s. And I, I like to do this to get a, a feel for the decade of which I was born in, kind of as my own way of time traveling to seeing the era of my birth. I think it's kind of cool. Um, but I'm just tripped up when I see these popular celebrities already having beards when I thought they weren't that old. I don't know. I, I guess it's difficult for me to kind of conceptualize the aging of people. And then some people look like they don't, they don't age at all. Um, it's very interesting. And the last movie I watched was Seven Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt. And there's a scene where there was in the 19 early 1950s after world war ii the chinese chinese communists were invading tibet and they get to this one village and you know some of the monks in tibet are freaking out they're panicking and some of the chinese soldiers are forcibly putting a gun into one of the monks hands and they're trying to force him to shoot one of the older monks and the older monk well the younger monk who's getting forcibly um a, put a, a gun put in his hands to shoot the older monk he's freaking out he's losing his shit he's like screaming and yelling and obviously does not like the situation that he's in um there's a mosquito in here. Uh, but the older monk is sitting calmly. He's getting pushed around. He obviously would prefer not to be in that situation, but he is in that situation. And he's so calm. Crazily calm. He's not reacting, he's not responding to the situation he finds himself and within a second or two he shot and killed but in a way he never lost himself he was always continuing his practice and what he was trying to i guess achieve as a monk um, and in that scene alone, I f found very interesting and in some ways inspiring. There's a great documentary, an intense one, but a great one called the Soviet story. And in this documentary, it's about the Soviet Union, but, um, about the ideologies of communism and they interview many people and they have many scenes um, and they do a little comparison to the Nazi regime as well as the 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 um, the British the allies under Winston Churchill during World War two and 
one historian makes the remark that it's only socialists who have publicly advocated for genocide um, as a way of achieving their ends. And it's another uh, Soviet defector who says, wherever communism is instilled, they murder 10% of the population. And that's very specific. It doesn't matter where the which country the communism takes hold. They murder 10%. Because they need to reconstruct um, the society and the ideals of the communists. And this is part of the idea of the new Soviet man. The idea being that some some areas are two stages behind where the revolutionaries are. They're not even capitalists yet. So they're pretty much garbage. And we could pretty much do without them. So they're kind of, um, in, a, in a way, taking up space. And this is how you allow for the murdering of these people. It, it's in Marx and Engels. They, they say that they... Some people need to be, um, I don't know, liquidated. And I guess in the spirit of this podcast, a vacuous vocation, we find ourselves amongst socialists. Less and less Nazis. People have understood that Nazism is something that an ideology that is um based on uh uh, how this one historian or professor put it it's it's an ideology based on a false biology that the Aryans are superior but the nazis were also socialist they were the national socialist labor party of germany They were national socialists. The Soviets, the communists, were international socialists. They thought that that, uh, the, the world was the big motor and the Soviet Union was the little motor driving the whole world. Um... And even fascism, which some people will say, no, 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 the Nazis were fascists. They weren't socialists. But fascism... If you look at the, you know, precise economic and and even a sociological analysis of fascism, is another variety of socialism. So Nazism and communism are varieties of socialism. Um, communism is a false ideology based on. It's an ideology based on a false sociology that the proletarians are exploited by the bourgeoisie. So we need the proletarian revolution, and then you establish the dictator of the proletariats. But they come from these ideas that, okay, once we establish these ideologies, then we have equality. Not only do we have equality, we have prosperity and we have freedom. So these are the means to achieve the ends. 
And in the United States, the country that is quote unquote the freest country in the world, um, we have politicians, and not just politicians, we have citizens who advocate for socialism. And it's always that uh, the next variety of socialism or their own variety of socialism, which is the the proper and workable variety of socialism that necessarily must be implemented in order to achieve these end goals of, of freedom and prosperity and equality. As an anarchist, as a methodological individualist, I don't I don't even understand what equality means. It makes no sense. Equality in the sense of a species, sure, but then that then we're just humanitarians, I think. But equality to me is not something that is desirable nor should it be. Do we live in a democracy? And should we? And my response to those two questions is no. Do we live in an equal world? And should we? I would say no. We don't live in an equal world. Equality is inherently um, in a state of of uh, permanence. It's 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 singled. It's the evenly rotating economy. It's an equilibrium. But people in the world of time, the world we find ourselves, are constantly changing. The world around us is constantly changing. There's new inventions, new information, new varieties, um, new states of satisfaction that uh, people would like to achieve. They'd prefer this new flavor of chips or this new leather textured sofa or this new TV show or the new movie um, people don't want this this uh, this state of equality they really don't they it's one thing to advocate it um, equality of of opportunity let's say it's one thing to advocate it um, and it's another thing to, to actually implement it and what that means in reality, in practice. Um, the equality of opportunity, in one sense, can mean people having the ability to enter freely into the lines of endeavors, the vocations that they choose. It's another thing to redistribute from the haves to the have-nots in the sense of of um, equity, which is just redistribution. This is just socialism, trying to achieve an end that is impossible to achieve. Um, I believe this is a Mises quote, but you can't burn... No, I don't think it's Mises. You can't burn the sofa that you burn today for heat tomorrow. The idea being that... Um, the prosperity and capital accumulation, once achieved, cannot be redistributed. Redistributed tomorrow, um, unless I mean, 
you have then the short term redistribution inequality, but in the long run, it just lowers the standard of living for everyone. So really, what I, the point I'm trying to make here is that I don't want to be part of the problem. We're trained in a democracy to succumb to the majority. We think that majorities are inherently good or right, um, which I disagree with in both cases. Um, you know, if we just go with what the majority votes, then somehow this is going to lead to the best road possible, which I, you know, for lack of a better words, I think is foolish. I think it, it, it uh, removes people's ability to think for themselves and not everyone can think for themselves. I agree, but I believe as an individual, as a person, I have the right to. Um, and we see far too often that, um, that people go with the flow. They go with what the majority wants. So if people are clapping, most people start clapping. People just go with the masses. And this is why when you look at, um, 1930s Germany, most people were, supporters of the Nazi regime. Um, in the Middle East, for example, I don't know exactly the situations there, so maybe I won't make a comment on that. But um, today, with the regimes we have in place, most people support democracy. Um, most people support the COVID regime. And it, you, you have many factors influencing this. Um, it's, it's, you have the whole cathedral in operation from the press to the education sectors to the top-down political figures, um, and the name of science is just whatever you think is wrong because you're in argument with science, and science is by definition truth, therefore, you're arguing with truth, therefore, you initiate your your conversation from a position of falsehood um so really there's logic but there is not common sense and democracy is this this cop-out for life it's a cop-out to substitute the individual for the sake of the masses um, so I think this is what I'm thinking lately is that, um, democracy is, is something incompatible with human freedom. Well, this is not an original idea, but, but I'm trying to go with it. Um, for, for many reasons. One of them being that you can't have morality. You can't have legality. 
You can have these things, but I think that they're wrong. And I think that they're weak. I think that the people become weak and wrong in a democracy more often than not. And then when we come back to the position we're in, in history, in the decades of the 2020s, especially in the countries that that we find ourselves, like the United States, we could be postmodern with the ideology of anarchism. But to come back into the position of our present time, of the people telling you to put a mask on, but it's okay to take it off when you lower your altitude by two feet. There's an insanity in supporting socialism. There's an insanity to supporting interventionism and statism. And this insanity is influenced and feeds parasitically off the masses becoming more insane. To the point where they advocate for violence and this is the circle of um, socialist values if we're young we're against the old if we're this we're against that it's it has control in semantics. And semantics, words, is the basis for the creation of thoughts. So in some sense, the war is a psychological one. And... I keep questioning every day what the title of this podcast is, A Vacuous Vocation. In some sense, it's a little bit cynical, and in other sense, it's ultimately optimistic. I don't know. It goes back and forth in my mind. Because in some sense, I want to fight for freedom and what I believe is right and correct. And in other sense, I want to be like that Tibetan monk who's calm and not influenced or responding to the chaos around him. Because that person was not careless. But in a way, they were. But in a way, I find that beautiful. That they didn't let their enemy control them. Because they didn't respond, they weren't reactionary. I think oftentimes, 
especially conservatives, find themselves being reactionary to the premise, this, the, the arena established before them on what grounds for the debates of anything, um, whether it be gay rights, abortion, trans rights, finances, you name it. Conservatives lack principles, and that's why they're more reactionary. But in the same sense, everyone is reactionary to different things at different times. If someone asks you a question, you react and respond to that more often than not. But this Tibetan monk didn't give a fuck. He was um, he was calm as a cucumber, and literally soldiers pointing guns, throwing them on the street, on his knees, putting a gun in his friend's hand to kill him. He didn't let them have the victory of his panic and his fear and his death coming for him in the following seconds. He didn't give that to those soldiers. And there's something so beautiful and strong about that. And I don't know if it was hope or hopeless, but it was very inspiring. And I'm, I'm not sure quite yet what to make of it. But that's kind of what I've been thinking about. Thank you for listening.